0: Welcome back, humans. In today's episode, I am going to introduce you to a series, a theme, that I will be covering in the next few episodes. This series will be titled Sapiential Theology. In a little bit, I'm going to define what that is. But first, we're going to start with an introduction to a saint who exemplifies this term, sapiential theology. This saint's name is Hildegard of Bingen. She was a German mystic. She was a woman who was born and raised in what is now Germany. She is also called Hildegard von Bingen, Bingen and it says here her by name is Sybil of the Rhine. She was born in the year 1098 and she died in 1179. She was canonized a saint on May tenth, 2012 and her feast day is September 17th. She is known as a German abbess, a visionary mystic, and a composer. Yes, yeah, she also wrote music. We're not going to focus so much on her music in these episodes, but what we will focus on is the main work of hers called the Scivias. That's S-C I V I A S. The Scivias is a compilation of twenty-six visions that Hildegard had. These visions are says here on this Britannica.com, they are prophetic and apocalyptic in form, and in their treatment of such topics as the church, the relationship between God and humanity, and redemption. Interesting this is coming from something that's not necessarily catholic but yet is still accurate on this. So, to recap, Hildegard of Bingen is a German mystic and her visions, she had visions, they are recorded in what is known as the Scivias. Now it says her she began having visions as a child. And then at the age of forty-three she consulted her confessor about these visions. The confessor then went to the archbishop, and a committee of theologians was then gathered together to confirm the authenticity of these visions. And after that was done, a monk was appointed to help her to record them, to write them down. So after all of that process, all of this stuff was written down, all these visions she had were written down, and it's called the Scivias. Again, that's S-C-I-V-I-A-S. Why am I talking about Hildegard of Bingen and her skivias on this podcast, where I have already said that Catherine of Siena is our patron? Well, if it's not already obvious to you, Hildegard of Bingen is a female saint, also a doctor of the church, who had visions that were recorded, visions that explain aspects of the Catholic church. Catherine of Siena, also a female saint and doctor of the church, had a dialogue with God. She went into ecstasy and spoke to God, and everything that she conversed with God about was written down. Not exactly the same, so to but very similar. So therefore, I found it appropriate. Furthermore, when I was in college, I actually wrote an essay on Hildegard of Bingen and her scivias. This essay I titled Sapiential Theology in the Visions of Saint Hildegard of Bingen. So now is the appropriate time for me to introduce you to what exactly is sapiential theology. Well, the word sapientia means wisdom in Latin, and so sapiential theology means a theology of wisdom. What does theology mean? Theology means the study of God. It's a Greek word. It means the study of God. Sapientia is a Latin word. It means wisdom. You put the two together, you get the study of God in wisdom. Or you could also say the study of God's wisdom. It's another way to word it. So let me read for you the introduction to my essay. It says, While more attention is given to her musical and medical endeavors and the fact of her being a woman and having prophetic style visions, Hildegard of Bingen also speaks a good deal about wisdom. In fact, wisdom, words of wisdom, and the Book of Wisdom are mentioned and are referenced at least seven times in the Scivias, the record of her visions. Of particular note is wisdom's appearance as a woman, God's female co worker. Moreover, the study of or focus on the wisdom of God sapientia, is often referred to as sapiential theology. And while sapiential theology has no easy definition due to the many and varied ways it has been expressed throughout these centuries, Hildegard's version does display some distinct characteristics. Sapiential theology is, especially in the visions and works of Hildegard of Bingen, a union between God and his creation, between the infinite wisdom, or sapientia, of the creator and the finite creature. So you notice there I said, in this essay, it doesn't have an easy definition, even though I just gave you a definition. The definition I gave you is just looking at what the words mean. But when I did research on this sapiential theology, I found that there are many different views, many different perspectives. But in particular, Hildegard of Bingen in her Scivias talks about wisdom, the wisdom of God, being represented as a woman, as a female figure. And the most important aspect is God uniting himself with his creation. Don't seem to really fit quite yet, but it does make sense eventually. As you read through the essay, it makes sense. Now, why am I sharing with you just some random essay I wrote? Well, because my peers and some professors at the college I went to loved this essay. Loved it so much that it was published in our Journal of Theology and Philosophy. I will put a link in the show notes of where you can download a PDF copy of this essay if you would like to read it for yourself, of the whole journal, in fact, if you would like to read it. I am allowed to do this because I'm not selling it, right? And because I wrote it myself, so there's no copyright issue. Anyway, moving on from that, Hildegard of Bingen talks about wisdom, the wisdom of God being evident in his union with his creation. Let's continue on with the essay. Let us first take a look at one of the most compelling appearances of wisdom in Hildegard's visions. In the Scivias Hildegard describes wisdom as the great ornament of God and the broad stairway of all the other virtues that live in him, joined to him in sweet embrace in a dance of ardent love. And she is looking out at the people in the world, for she protects and guides the people who want to follow her and keeps with great love those who are true to her. This description comes from Hildegard's ninth vision and is preceded by a description of the church and of God's gift of the Holy Spirit to her, in order to protect the beauty of his, quote, new bride. These gifts are, as Hildegard says, seven in number, and she sees them symbolized by seven white marble pillars, which are supporting a round dome of iron. And on top of this dome, you see a very beautiful figure standing. The round dome represents virtue, and the beautiful figure is wisdom. Hildegard then says that the reason the figure stands on top of the dome is because this virtue was in the Most High Father before all creatures, giving counsel in the formation of all the creatures made in heaven and earth. In other words, wisdom is the first and most important of all the virtues. Furthermore, Hildegard says that this figure represents God's wisdom, or sapientia, in particular, which is the prime source of all creation, for through her all things are created and ruled by God. A legitimate question then arises. What does all this mean? Well, for this writer, for me, it lays a sort of foundation for God's infinite wisdom being united to his finite creation. We'll stop there. And we see in Hildegard's vision that there's an ornament on a broad stairway. And this ornament is you join to God in a sweet embrace, a dance of ardent love. And she looks out at God. She looks out at God, at people, not at God. She's in an embrace with God, and she looks out at the people of the world. Why does she look at them? Because she protects and guides them, those people who want to follow her, and keeps with great love those who are true to her. And then further down, there is a connection between this ornament of God, who is a she in the vision. This ornament is the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe not. Hmm. It also seems like this ornament is the church. This description comes from Hildegard's ninth vision and is preceded by a description of the church and of God's gift of the Holy Spirit to her in order to protect the beauty of his new bride. So the description of this ornament comes directly before she talks about the Holy Spirit being given to the new bride. So it's not necessarily clear whether the church, the new bride, or the Holy Spirit is the she that we're talking to. Why is that not necessarily clear? Well, because they're joined to God in a sweet embrace, a dance of ardent love. They're so closely connected to each other that we don't know where one stops and the other begins. They're so intertwined that they seem like they're one and the same thing. The Holy Spirit is so joined to the church that they seem like they're one and the same thing. And they're so joined in an embrace with God that it's ardent love we see. Ardent love is is going on between them, is shared between them. And then she starts talking about pillars and a dome of iron and all this, this, that, and the other thing. And then it's explained that uh, these are all virtues. These pillars the church is built on are virtues. And then the ornament at the top is wisdom, the beautiful figure, because wisdom is the crown. And again, wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. They're so intertwined. We don't know which is which, where one stops and the other begins. They're so closely connected, but they are the ornament. They are on top. The most prized pers- the most prized product, you could say, the most prized aspect is wisdom. What's most fascinating here, though, to continue on, is that wisdom is referred to as a female. And there's a quote in here that I read. I'll read it again for you. Hildegard says that this figure represents God's wisdom in particular, which is the prime source of all creation. Whoop. It's not just the prime virtue, but also the prime source of all creation. Quote, for through her all things are created and ruled by God. Where does that quote come from? Hmm. I do believe that quote is from Scripture. Yeah. I have it quoted here as coming from the Scivios, but I do believe that's from Scripture. Where is that from Scripture? Hmm, well, let's think back to uh, John's Gospel, the beginning of John's Gospel, where he says, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came to be through him. And that Word is Jesus. And if you've done any kind of scripture study, you'll know that that, that prologue, that opening of John's Gospel, is a reference to the beginning of Genesis, because both of them start with, in the beginning. And if you look at the beginning of Genesis, the first chapter, it talks about this spirit, the breath, the wind of God moving across the faceless expanse where there's nothing. So we already see this spirit, this Holy Spirit, and the word working together to create all that we know and see. So that's where Hildegard is, is in her vision. What she sees here is is these aspects of scripture being blended together into this one statement where through wisdom all things are created and ruled by God. So let me continue on reading this essay. It says, This is seen in the way Sapienza is unique among medieval allegorical figures because it is the only personification that remained equally compelling and indeed ubiquitous throughout the Middle Ages in both a masculine and a feminine guise. is a masculine and feminine. The word we know is Jesus, but then the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as a feminine guise, under a feminine guise. Let me read further. This is further seen in the tension between the procedures of personification allegory in which the persona's traits must be consistent with its grammatical gender and the special demands of christian theology in which wisdom a feminine persona in the old testament was very clearly identified with the masculine christ ah see there's what i was talking about earlier this is found in first corinthians one twenty-four. what in the old testament was wisdom referred to as a she as a feminine persona then in paul's letter to the corinthians is identified with christ with jesus who we know is a man now what exactly does first 1 corinthians 124 say let's find out bear with me for a second i will find first 1 corinthians 124 and read that for you. We're getting there. First Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 24. What does it say? We already know in some sense it connects wisdom with Christ. Let's see. It says, "But to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God." Hmm. <laughs> if you have been paying attention to the readings at mass recently, we just heard this one. This was the second reading at mass for the third Sunday of Lent. It begins on verse in verse twenty one says for those for since in the wisdom of God the world did not come to know God through wisdom. It was the will of God through the foolishness of the proclamation to save those who have faith. For Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So right here she's referencing 1 Corinthians one twenty four, where wisdom is coherent with Christ. But it might be a little bit confusing, since in the Old Testament, wisdom is usually referred to as a she, and Jesus is a he. Hmm. That might be a little bit confusing. Let's continue on. The first quote is basically saying that the Latin word for wisdom and its common depiction throughout the Middle Ages was the only concept ever personified as both a man and a woman, consistently and compellingly. The second quote is commenting on how the procedure for taking a word and personifying it consists of making sure that the subsequent persona's traits are coherent with the word's grammatical gender. So if you know anything about languages, if you've ever studied, say, Spanish or Italian, I've studied Spanish, you know that certain words have a gender. They will end in an A or they will end in an O, or they'll end in an E. And that tells you which gender that word is. That might not be comfortable for some people, that words have genders. Why would words need to have genders? But the reality is, many of them do. If you've ever studied another language besides English, you will find that. And Latin is the root of Spanish and Italian and French. And in Latin, we find that there are male and female words. There are feminine and masculine words. So what I've pulled out here for you is that the word sapientia in Latin is a feminine term. And so when they use this to describe what uh, scripture is saying to people, they would often say that sapientia, wisdom, is female because it's a feminine word. And they wanted to make sure that the the two were coherent. In other words, if the word is feminine, then the person depicting it should be a woman. And likewise, if the word is masculine, the person depicting it should be a man. And further, this quote says that there exists a tension between the fact that wisdom is personified by a female figure in the Old Testament and by Christ, a male figure in the New Testament. So, on the one hand, it's just a word grammatical issue, but on the other hand, it's showing us that um the feminine and the masculine are both equal in the sight of God you can pull you can pull that out of the text they're both equal. We can refer to wisdom as in Christ, a man, but we can also see wisdom as having feminine characteristics, especially in the word we use to describe it. Hope you're still following with me. I hope this isn't getting too deep for you. We're going to go a little bit further into my essay. I say, this all sounds quite interesting, but what does it mean? It's a very good question. The first quote All we'll read for you again. The first quote is basically saying that the Latin word for wisdom and its common depiction throughout the Middle Ages was the only concept ever personified as both a man and a woman consistently and compellingly. So let me repeat that for you again. The word sapientia for wisdom is the only one that has ever been personified. The only concept the only Latin word that has ever been personified as both a man and a woman consistently and compellingly. That's what's most important for this study, for the essay that I wrote, and for these podcast episodes. The idea of wisdom is the only concept that has ever been personified as both a man and a woman, both consistently and compellingly continue on next we see that as newman says in sister of wisdom this is a book i'm referencing for this essay is a book called sister of wisdom it was in the 12th century that theological reflection on christ devotion to the mother of god classicizing humanism and liturgical and artistic innovation fully converged with hildegard and, with hildegard's sapiential visions witnessing to this fact Thus, while it seems confusing that wisdom was depicted by male and female figures, it actually begins to make sense when one looks at the context. Look at the time period, is what we're saying here. The 12th century is when Hildegard of Bingen lived, and it was in the 12th century that we started to see the theological reflection on Christ, a devotion to the mother of God, This idea of classical humanism and liturgical and artistic innovations started to fully converge. So, for example, Christians were digging deeper into the meaning of both Christ's and his mother's roles within the faith. At the same time, they were taking new steps in art and liturgical practices in which they were often moving away from a fear of employing human figures to represent divine concepts. Then in the midst of all this innovation, we have Hildegard and her visions of what wisdom looks like. So in this time period, we're starting to see people not being so fearful of using human figures to illustrate divine concepts. Just culturally, we're seeing that. And theologically, we're seeing that. And then you see ordinary Christians trying to dig a little bit deeper into what not only jesus christ's role but his mother's role was we know that jesus is extremely important to our faith but you see people starting to dig deeper into what was his mother's role was she really just somebody who was there and gave birth to him and then that was it or does she have a deeper meaning there was always from the very beginning a devotion and respect for his mother just by the simple fact that she's his mother But we started to see here in the 12th century that collectively the church started to wonder, is there something more to her role? That's not to say that nobody was thinking about this beforehand, but it is to say that collectively it became more of a popular thing for people to start to wonder, okay, is there more to her role than simply being his mother? So in the midst of all of these things, then you have Hildegard and her visions, and she starts to to see exactly what wisdom looks like, and she sees wisdom as both male and female, male in Christ, and perhaps, just maybe, female in Mary, his mother. I'm going to leave you with that right there. And I will pick this concept up in the next episode. So to recap, so far what we've covered is an introduction to Hildegard of Bingen and her visions. An introduction to what sapiential theology is. What it means. A simplified definition. And then we've begun to dig a little bit into this somewhat confusing back and forth between is is wisdom the holy spirit is it mary is it is it jesus is it male is it female what does all this mean that got a little bit confusing but i promise you it will make more sense as we dig a little deeper into this so i hope you stay tuned for the next episode and i hope you have a very blessed day